Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey, this is Mark Trichel, and we are here for another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm excited today that I've got Brian Knight, the CEO and president of the National Association of State Credit Union Supervisors, or what I've called forever, NASCIS. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mark. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. And Brian, I've known you for quite some time, and many of my listeners probably know what it is and what it is you do. And when I first started working with you when you were at NASCIS and I was at NCUA. You were the, I believe your title was general counsel of NASCIS, but since then you've been promoted at least a year ago, I think, to run the organization. So if you could, for the listeners, if you could kind of give a little bit of your background at NASCIS and so that they're aware of all the different things you bring to the table for this interview. Sure. Thanks, Mark. And we have known each other a long time. I hope for the better. But yes, I'm in my 25th year at NASCIS. I joined NASCIS in 1998 to kind of oversee NASCIS's legislative and regulatory affairs in that capacity. I did all of the regulatory and statutory analysis for wrote the comment letters, was the subject kind of matter specialist talking out in the credit union system to both our state regulatory agency members and our credit union stakeholder members on what was coming out of Washington, what was coming out of the different states. From there, I became executive vice president and general counsel, still with the responsibility for overseeing all of that. I held that role until January 1st of last year, 2022, when I became the president and CEO. Very good. So yeah, you're coming up on the one-year anniversary. That's cool. That's exciting. So for the listeners, my interactions mostly with NASCIS was that we would have one, two or three big meetings where we would pull the state regulators in with NCUA and we would talk about what topics are hot, what new regulations might be coming out. We'd get into breakout sessions and talk about different things about how we might be able to approve regulations. And I know some good ideas were born in those sessions, but there's much, much more to NASCIS. If you could kind of describe what NASCIS is and what it does for its members, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm fully aware that for some, NASCIS kind of is a little puzzling because as I alluded to, we have both regulator members and credit union system stakeholder members. And so maybe helpful to kind of start in the beginning. NASCIS was created in 1965 by state regulatory agencies. You know, in the 60s, there was this kind of explosive growth of state chartered credit unions. And while they had been around since 1909, they just were increasing in number. And in 1965, about 28 state regulatory agencies, and interestingly enough, a Canadian province, all came together and said, the number of these institutions are increasing. We're wrapping our arms on how to supervise them distinct from our banking responsibilities. Maybe it'd be helpful if we all came together. And so 28 of them came together, formed NASCIS. Within a few years, all of the states with state Chartered credit unions had joined NASCIS, and we were, until the late 80s, an organization focused just on helping the state regulatory agencies share best practices, consult with each other about emerging risks, and just ensure that there was a viable and safe and sound state credit union system. 
But to their credit, in the late 80s, the regulatory agencies began to discuss inviting system stakeholders into the organization. And the reason that they began those conversations internally is, as they looked out on the system, I think to their credit, they had the self-awareness to say, we're viewing the world through a supervisory lens, but we fully appreciate that we might have blind spots and things that we think are a supervisory answer to a problem that we see might not be working the way we think it will once it gets out into the wild. In the late 80s, they actually started by inviting credit union leagues into the organization. And then in the early 90s, in 1992, they invited credit unions themselves in to have the conversations, to share everybody's expertise. Here are the risks that we are seeing. Here are the challenges we are seeing. What are the answers that satisfy regulatory supervisory concerns? but also provide for a viable operating environment so that our state chartered credit unions can be healthy. And that's where we are today. We're an organization that, while at our core, we are still a professional regulators association with the 45 states with state chartered credit unions. There are five states that do not have state chartered credit unions. We have two states with state credit union acts, but no state charters. Arkansas and Hawaii, their last state charters converted to federal in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then Wyoming, South Dakota, and Delaware have never had a provision for state chartered credit unions. They only have federal credit unions in those states. There is no state act. So we have the 45 states with state charters. We have state chartered credit unions. We have other system stakeholders, the leagues. We have federal credit unions who belong to NASCIS. We have other third parties. And what we really serve as is that kind of collaborative center where everybody can share their perspectives of the challenges ahead talk about what the solutions are, and then through that mechanism, come out with what we hope is the best kind of public policy supervisory approach to advance a healthy, safe, and sound state credit union system. We still do the regulatory advocacy. As I know you had to read all the comment letters I wrote back in the day. We still do that kind of regulatory advocacy before NCUA and all of the other federal policymakers, whether they be agencies or Capitol Hill. We help state regulators as they look at modernizing their state acts, their regulations, training, best practices. We help our state credit union members who are looking at modernizing their state acts on what are some of the trends and best practices and best provisions we see around the country. We do a lot of professional development, both just for the regulators and industry, some just for the industry around the country. We really are you know, the sole organization with a singular focus on the future of just the state system. But with that obviously comes our dedication to a properly balanced dual chartering system. So we do support our federal friends as well, particularly, for example, in 1998, when there was all of the work that led into the Credit Union Membership Access Act, which really wasn't a fix that the state system needed. But we recognized that it was a fix that the federal system needed. And so NASCIS and its members put their weight behind that, even though it didn't kind of give state charters new powers, it gave them limitations, but it really was essential for a healthy dual chartering system. No, that's a great example of the teamwork that you can have to keep the dual chartering system viable. And to me, life is all about having options, right? And so 45 or 46 states that give people choice, it's great to have the option of being a federal charter or a state charter because based on people's business models, based on their future plans, one system might be a little bit better than the other for different reasons. And the other thing that, you know, as you walk through that and talked about, excuse me, having the leagues as members and having credit unions as members, you reminded me of one of my favorite books, which is called The Wisdom of Crowds. And that if you don't seek the opinion of the crowd, you can end up making things that seem brilliant, 
But when you get out there, like you said, when it goes live, it's more of a Led Zeppelin and hit, hits the ground and crashes so that by having all those different types of members, you have the ability to pick their brain, still remain focused to the tenets of what NASCIS is all about and what the state regulator system is all about. But you can take all of that into consideration. I'm aware of the board that consists of the state regulator side that they work somehow with either some of the, like an advisory board of either the credit unions or the leagues? Is that- we, do. We, we have two, great. We have two leadership bodies. We have a regulator board and we have what we call the Credit Union Advisory Council. And the Credit Union Advisory Council is made up of this, our credit union members. They represent the system stakeholder side of our membership, whether it be state charter credit unions, federal credit union leagues, the other third parties that belong. Our two leadership bodies always meet together. So we have four as basically four more as needed, what we call joint leadership meetings a year. It is always both bodies meeting together, addressing and discussing the challenges, setting the policies for NASCIS, the direction of NASCIS, kind of debating and evaluating the strength of the state charter, the future of the system. Again, sharing that stakeholder operational expertise from the credit union CEOs who are there with our regulator board members who are there. But those two leadership bodies are co-leadership bodies. I answer to two chairs, a regulator chair and a credit union advisory council chair. So while the bodies are unique, the credit union advisory council is elected by our stakeholder members, the regulator board elected by our regulatory agencies, they always meet together. Got it. Well, going back to my days at NCUA when I was the executive director, I was glad I only had one board chairman to report to. So I'm and sure- Mark, that's an interesting point because as I kind of mentioned, some people kind of find that a little bit of an odd structure. But as I always point to people, one of the trends we have seen and are seeing at the federal level is for federal agencies to have advisory boards, right? They have the CFPB, the right. Federal Reserve. I know NCUA has talked about the wisdom of if they should do that as well. So the idea of regulator and regulated talking together is not new. Right. Uh, we've just incorporated and built ourselves since the early 90s around that, but it is not something that doesn't exist out there. We've just kind of homogenized it into our core operations as opposed to a truly just outside distant body. And we do, to your point on the crowdsource, thinks that it results in better policy and better policies both ways, I will tell you. In my 25 years here, I have seen as many times as regulators have listened to the credit unions and said, we hadn't considered that. Maybe we should reevaluate how we, from a supervisory perspective, view things. I've seen it equally happen on the other side, where listened to the regulators and said, we hadn't considered that perspective. Right, and so right. our view on the wisdom of propriety that we were viewing solely through the lens of our institution and ourselves, juxtaposed against the bigger, not just credit union system, but financial services sector, I've seen those views shape and change based on the input from the regulator. So I really do think it benefits both sides. Well, and as you said, NCUA has talked about having an advisory council and at different times, what happens is a new NCUA board member comes in, it's suggested either by credit unions or the trade that it might be considered. And I will predict that someday it will happen. There's different reasons that it hasn't happened this juncture, which other than the cost and the infrastructure of getting it up and things like that, which are some of them, but it's never made it to the finish line. And I predict sometime while you and I are still involved in credit unions, that'll happen. And maybe NCAA will have to, we'll be reaching out to you and CFPB to see what lessons learned that you have relative to setting it up. So we'll Maybe we'll mark this note in the podcast and pull it out and pluck it when that happens for NCUA and republish it. So one of the things, Brian, you mentioned is professional development. And so refreshing my familiarity with your webpage, but you've got tons of different training classes. It looks like you have training classes 
that are modules that people can sign up for and learn different things like sitting at the computer. But you also have sessions around the country where credit unions and or state regulators can come to get educated. And that's trying to stay one step ahead of the curve on all these things is a challenge for credit unions. Uh, And I know you help them do that with these trainings. But if you could kind of walk through maybe some of what's coming up in 2023 and maybe which of the training classes that you've put on in the past have been the most popular as far as attendance. And then any advice for someone who's not a member, right, who might want to sign up to do some of that. Yeah, thanks for that that opportunity. As you said, there's a lot of different kind of training options. And if you kind of take a look at nascus.org, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I'm sure you'll edit it out if I'm not. No, you can. (laughs) We do a lot. And so I'll start with, you mentioned the web-based, and I'll kind of work our way up. The way we view it kind of internally, we do have web-based training opportunities. And by that, I don't just mean kind of a webinar or podcast as excellent as, as it is as this. But for our credit union members, we do have a contract with a third party, a content provider that gives our credit union members access to about 900 online courses. We call it Credit Union Campus 365. Our members notify us that they want to sign up for it, as many of their staff as they would like to. SCIS covers the cost of the licensing for them to participate in this course provision. And then after we get them kind of registered and handle the administrative aspect of it, they have free reign, as I said, over 900 courses, as many of their staff, as many times as they want to take it, whatever interests them. We have a separate content provider that does the same thing for our state agencies. It's a different provider, a different kind of course content, but we have about 500 courses that are available to all of the state agencies for their examiners. Again, we cover the cost of that. They sign up their examiners and their examiners can go through about 500 courses. A lot of our states have taken the course offerings and built their own class kind of curriculums that wow. they send their examiners through. We've, and the all of the states can actually see some of the other states' curriculum setups and borrow from that and get ideas. They can also ask us for help in setting up what might be appropriate for a one-year, three-year, five-year, fully seasoned examiner, what have you. Again, those are distinct and separate platforms, but benefits out to both our stakeholder side of our membership and our regulator side of the membership. Moving beyond that to actually specific kind of curated by us professional development opportunities, we do have web-based opportunities as well, kind of the video webinars that we all got accustomed to during COVID. And on December 5th, for example, we had a free offering for all of our members, a law firm talking about the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision on the CFPB. (laughs) And the ability to repay that kind of grabbed a lot of headlines. The CFPB's funding is unconstitutional. And so we had this law firm that specialized in this come talk to us about what was at issue in that case. What did that really mean? What are the implications for other agencies that don't go through the appropriations process, perhaps like one that you used to work for? We did that because I saw a lot of writing about that as I looked at that opinion that I thought was making a whole lot more out of that opinion than I think was actually there. And so that was an example of a live opportunity we offered out to all of our members free of charge. We also have obviously paid curated things. We've done a series of CECL events during COVID. We were having opportunities where we had law firms coming in from kind of the HR perspective as we were all struggling with what do we do with COVID? What are our policies? What are we allowed to ask our employees? Not a last allowed to ask, what's the liability if we mandate vaccinations or don't mandate vaccinations, all of those issues. So we have those kind of subject matter virtual presentations available. We also have a wide offering of in-person events. And again, those in-person events kind of fall into a couple of categories. 
we'll have what I call our state specific. So in some cases, we partner either with a league or with the state regulator. And in a specific state, we're offering directors, colleges, industry days, executive forums, kind of really focused training for the state and federal credit unions in that state. And we do those all over the country, multiple ones a year. And then we have our kind of nationally drawn, what I call our signature events. This was one of the first in the credit union system to do kind of a nationwide cybersecurity conference starting in 2014. We collaborate with CUNA on that one. One of our biggest, we again, in collaboration with CUNA back in 2005, and I know you came and spoke at this back in your time at NCUA, we had the largest credit union specific, say, AML, anti-financial crimes conference, which we still do every year in collaboration with CUNA. In 2019, we began a cannabis banking conference to look at all of the policy issues around cannabis, cannabis banking, hemp banking at the time also was a big issue, but we had been involved in those issues back to Colorado's legalization, Washington's legalization, and we were getting so many policy questions around it. We launched that and we still do that to this day. And of course, our big flagship event, kind of open to all industry, is our annual meeting, our state system summit, which in 2023, on August 25 through 29, will be in Nashville. And I encourage everyone to take a look at it. It's a fantastic event, three days of kind of networking and focused discussion of the biggest challenges are ahead. Those are the ones that would probably be of interest to your stakeholder listeners. Do do a couple of regulator-only events. The big signature one of that you're aware of is what we call our national meeting. It usually takes place in spring, where we'll bring all of the state regulators, invite our friends from NCUA. We actually used to do that conference together. We now kind of run it. We still invite NCUA and all the state regulators will come together for three days, sans the stakeholders, and just talk about the issues confronting them as a state agency. We have other opportunities for the state regulators to come together and talk. So to your point, we do a lot of these different events around the country. There's lots of ways to participate. All of our events that we do that are open and an overwhelming majority of them are open to the industry, except for that national meeting. Non-members are welcome to attend as well. They are kind of geared and designed for our members, but we do have federal members as well. Non-members are always welcome to attend so they can take a look and you know, hopefully they'll see some value in it. But we do about, I would say, 2,400 people a year coming through our various training and professional developments. Yeah, that's fantastic. Anything down in 2023, maybe at some of these hot topics, but fintech and blockchain are one thing you see. There's the whole crypto side of blockchain, but there's the blockchain infrastructure that credit unions I know are very interested about. Any trainings coming up where those types of hot topics will be discussed? Yeah, absolutely. And when we do our kind of in-state trainings, like I mentioned, those directors colleges, those are the kinds of topics that are often on there. The big cutting edge topics is, as you probably recall, Nascus was looking at virtual currencies before Bitcoin and crypto were invented from a BSA perspective. So we've been looking at that for a while. So you can see things, discussions of kind of the decentralized finance, the blockchain, fintech and crypto at all of those events. We're actually working in April We might do a one-day kind of fintech symposium where we're going to focus very specifically on some of these issues. NASCIS has been talking with states on the fintech side, actually encouraging states to consider allowing credit unions to hold equity investments in non-CUSOs in fintech companies because of the need to get in on that first floor of innovation. So you can see it at that. A lot of discussion of fintech, DeFi, crypto, I anticipate it'll be at our annual meeting. 
A lot of your listeners have probably heard of the kind of crypto speaker in the credit union space, Lamont Black. He's done quite a few things for our members. We've been working with Lamont back into since 2020 on these issues. So I would say, as you look at these offerings that come to your state, to your neighboring state, and certainly our national signature meetings, take a look because those hot topics will always be on there. Crypto is a big issue in the BSA space. We've been talking about it. It's our interest in that actually started again with virtual currencies from an anti-money laundering perspective. Obviously, looking at it on the cybersecurity side, so at our cybersecurity conference, you'll get a taste of it as well. And then certainly at our annual meeting, what we call our state system summit in August in in Nashville. Great. You could spend your whole time almost just getting educated by NASA. So you got such an encyclopedia and collection there. That's fantastic. Also, I think it was great to point out that non-members can come and participate and sample in what's going on and then maybe find out that it's time to become a member, right? So Absolutely. Very good. So we talked about one of the things that we would do at those regulatory roundups is when you were the general counsel, the NCUA general counsel, and you would kind of talk through what's going on at NCUA. And so for the listener, any takeaways or things they should be thinking about either from the federal or state perspective legislatively on the horizon that comes to mind, that's top of mind? Yeah, we actually just had a session for a small group of our our credit unions and some select regulators looking at the kind of outcome from the midterm uh, elections. There are a couple issues to, to, I think, be looking at. There is kind of ongoing watch over the SAFE Act and SAFE Plus. Will there be some form of safe harbor, legitimate state-licensed cannabis? I think that's a big one to look at. Obviously, I cannot imagine that the fallout from FTX is going to go unanswered from Congress. A lot of questions about how do you regulate that? Who should regulate it? But I will say with respect to kind of the cryptocurrency and FTX, I still think there's a lot to learn about what happened there. I'm not so sure that this is a cryptocurrency collapse and maybe less kind of a corporate structure issue. I think we'll learn more. But in a lot of ways, that'll be neither here nor there. This was a big kind of shocking development that I think will get a legislative response. I think I can anticipate with Republican control of the House, probably a lot of investigations or hearings, at least into various federal agencies and kind of overreach, perceived overreach, I'll say, of agency action rulemaking. So I would expect to see a kind of a pull and tug on issues around ESG and things of that nature. While I think it's less likely to happen, I still think there are discussions going on around interchange, obviously kind of overdraft protection fees, also kind of see those issues. And of course, laying kind of beneath all of this is what has been for a while now, the number one concern, that's cybersecurity. And still, I think open questions on privacy and cybersecurity and should there be kind of a an expanded GLB? Should there be kind of a state uh, approach to it? So I think all of those issues are going to be in play. But I also as I kind of said on our webinar with our folks talking to us about the midterms, it seems to me that at least for the next year and a half, everybody is going to be auditioning for the presidential season. And sure. so I'm not sure how much is going yeah. to actually get done. But I do think that some there's just some kind of important issues to watch coming out of Congress. And then I think at the regulatory level, there are some things to, to be watching. The NCUA has kind of, I think, taken a generally measured approach in, in rulemaking. I Certainly, it seems there's less coming out than there were maybe even a few years ago, just in terms of volume. But what is coming out is very impactful. We have kind of another trying to properly calibrate subordinated debt and those issues. But I think NCUA, back to where we started this conversation in terms of the dual chartering system, NCUA has taken what I consider some very positive steps for the federal charter in terms of field of membership. I'm not sure that they are done 
kind of examining where they have the regulatory flexibility to do things. Obviously, they're constrained by their statute, as are their states. And I think what NCOA has done in field of membership has been great for federals. It's put some pressure back on the state system, but that's the beauty of dual dual chartering. But as a result, I also do know that there are our system stakeholders and some of our state regulatory agencies that in 23 are going to be looking at their statutes and whether it's kind of, are we keeping a pace with NCOA or even in their own view of it, are we positioning our state charters to be able to fully participate in what is a time, in my view, of transformational change in the broader financial services sector? And what are some of those other powers and authorities, whether it is equity investment in fintechs or field of membership or other kind of structural authority power changes? So I do think we'll see kind of an active regulatory year in 2023. I think there'll be a lot of push and shove on the legislative year. I'm just not certain as you and I sit here today, what is going to move beyond that kind of push and pull in the legislative context, given the dynamics of we'll be entering the 2024 season. <laughs> right, right. Season. I wrote down a few things that you touched on there. And I've heard that potentially NCUA wants to do a little bit more on the field membership side. One of the challenges they have is what does the act allow and how yeah. far have how close to the edge have we do we want to cross over that alleged do we want to be sued by the ABA? Because they're going to sue regardless of in the end whether the federal credit union not allows it, they're not going to give an inch, right? So there's all those things NCUA has to think about. And our our state regulatory agencies have to think about those things as well. As a regulatory agency, state or federal, you are constrained by your statute. You are. Public policymakers in the legislative and executive branches set the guardrails and you can operate within there. But I'll also point out, and I know you know this from your time at NCUA, the other thing that I think sometimes needs to be better appreciated in the broader system is on some of these issues, we do not have a unanimous view within our own credit union family as to where those boundaries should <laughs> exactly. lay. Right? I mean, you know this is for every credit union that wants broader commercial lending or broader field of membership or whatever it is, compensated, whatever it is, there's a core that says, no, not that. And we also need to kind of figure out sure. as a system, what is the kind of majority sentiment as to where we should go. And I do think that's a pressure on our state regulatory agencies and NCUA that's sometimes not fully appreciated that right Yeah. That's right it. after that's the advocate leaves the room, there come credit union people who are like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of herding cats on each side. And you know, and ultimately when we talk about FinTech and, and all the things that you can do on your laptop and on your phone, ultimately, you know, branches and having to have a facility in an area and for all per- practical purposes, my phone is my credit union branch. It's my bank branch. Right. But that's not consistent with how the act reads, but ultimately at some juncture, there's a fork in the road. Will that be allowed? If that's allowed, what does that mean beyond that? You're going to get the ABA pushing on credit union should be taxed if it goes down that route and, and all those things. But again, at some juncture, maybe after maybe 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, that's something that's going to be have to be wrestled with. Now, so you FTX, I didn't buy much on Black Friday, but I almost bought my first ugly Christmas sweater. And it said it was FTX, Risk Management Team 2022. (laughs) And I got a picture of that. I've got a blog I'm going to do about it. But I think ultimately, there's been a lot of writings about that. I think ultimately, unless somebody had money invested and it lost it, it's going to get a better understanding. It's going to get better, hopefully, regulations. There was such a run to not overregulation is not a good thing, but some regulation is a good thing. And so whenever the dust settles in Washington on who the president is and next go round. It might even take that longer. But because FTX and these other things happened, which seem to be tied to leveraging, 
balance sheets, allegedly, and maybe some other things, some lack of corporate governments, as you mentioned, that's going to really get people thinking about the blockchain side of things and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And there's a quote, I don't understand it, and I don't understand the people who understand it, right? But when you start reading some of these things, your hair in your back, your neck goes up as a regulator, knowing that there should have been some systems in place in many of these places and that there are risks that were being taken with other people' money, other people's money. So I'm really curious to see how that plays out. In the SAFE Act, and hopefully eventually, I know there's a politician on the West Coast I heard on a podcast who's retiring this year, and he's one of the architects of that. Yeah, Ed Perlmutter. Yeah. And I, boy, listening to him, it was just fascinating. All he's done to try and move this forward. And hopefully there's something that comes of it because of the safety of the cash issue and all that. But again, that's something eventually that the federal government's got to catch up with the states so that can be done in a more of a safe and sound way. So that's a lot. So shifting gears, you're hearing relative to trends in credit unions that are of concern or that credit unions have their eye on. The NCUA has got its priority letters which covered a lot of things. I've heard some things from my clients, but I'm curious what you may have heard from where you sit. Yeah, in terms of, I'll say, be kind of clear, kind of concerns for credit unions, it's not so much concerns about credit union activities specifically themselves. I put the more the systemic kind of risks and challenges. And that's obviously kind of first and foremost, kind of figuring out where are we going to land in 23 between kind of inflation and recession and kind of the how do you balance the continued rate heights? Is there going to be a downturn? Certain, Most certainly there is. But what does it look like? Is it going to be kind of a traditional downturn? Is it going to be something kind of more extremes? At a macro level, you have those. Hearing a lot of concerns, both from the stakeholder side and the regulator side on liquidity, obviously tied to that. I think cybersecurity and liquidity, I'd say, are going to be the two big ones there. A digital transformation, this isn't so much a regulator concern. that I hear this from our credit union stakeholders, just the kind of expense and complication of the kind of digital stack transformation going on inside credit unions, the modernization of cores, you alluded to it, products and service platforms that the consumer is expecting. And what does that look like? And how do you balance providing that with funding all of the compliance and everything else that you have to do? And at the same time, you have kind of an eroding around the perimeter, some of the fee income that that supports that, and where is the public policy going to land on what is something that maybe we all generally could look at and say, yes, that is probably a little bit of abusive fee income versus what are, I think, very legitimate discussions about, look, you're, you're not supposed to be necessarily overdrawing your account, or what about the members who don't do this and who should kind of pay for these, these issues? So I think a lot of kind of concern there. And just the continued, as I noted, the transformation of the financial services space. And from a regulatory side, are we properly calibrating what is expected of the regulatory agencies, which is a safe and sound system, right? I mean, everyone complains about the regulator until something goes horribly wrong. And you have heard this, I'm sure, at NCUA and our states have heard it. When it does go wrong, the very first thing you hear is, where was the regulator? Where were you? Where were you? (laughs) Mark, where were you? So, you have what is expected by everybody in the system, the consumers, the policymakers, the credit unions themselves of a safe and sound system properly calibrated with we need to allow the system to continue to evolve along with all of the other financial services marketplace. And as I said, are we ensuring that we are either proactively equipping the credit union system with the tools that it needs to be relevant 
or at least staying out of the way so that they can right. equip themselves. And so where is that calibration line? And then that's not as you know, I think a regulatory agency reaches and it's like, boom, we've got it per- perfectly calibrated. We can now just kick our heels back. That is a constant calibration that needs to take place. And so against the kind of broader changes we're seeing with the DeFi, with the non-depository financial services providers, and where is all of that going? What are the proper policy lines and safety and soundness lines is going to be, I think, taking up a lot of energy in 2023. Well, that's well said. And I can reiterate the liquidity side of things, the cybersecurity side of things, and the non-bank financials and how all the fintech that everybody wants to do interfaces with credit unions. That's a big topic. I know that one of the things I talk about a lot is NCUA's exam priority letter and one of their priorities Two of the priorities you touched on is share overdraft and taking a look at that and the fees tied to that and that NCUA was studying that and that they weren't going to do things in document resolutions to it, but they were studying what kind of communications they had to their members, what kind of audits they'd done internally about how that was handled, and that whatever they find from that study might lead to some further thoughts from NCUA in 2023. So I'm looking forward, well, I'm looking interested to see what they might do there. And then one of the other priorities that kind of linked to something you said is electronic payment systems was one of their priorities. That was a new priority that had never hit before. And I really think NCUA doesn't know what it doesn't know. It's a situation of everything's intertwining and it's getting more complicated. And what risks might that create for cyber? What risks might that create for theft? What risks might that create for things we haven't even thought of yet? So they've added regional electronic payment systems folks, specialists that I know they they may have just recently selected some of those, but NCUA is putting some investments in there so that they can do their best to meet their mission of keeping things safe and sound. And like you said, you don't want a super long exams. You don't want, not in my backyard, but when something goes wrong, everybody's quick to say, how in the world did NCUA miss this fraud of X when it's a balancing act? It's a true balancing act. So, you know, another issue on there for the state's Uh, Mark, and all of those issues are exact same thing I think the state regulators are looking at as well. Another conversation we've been having a lot kind of internally at NASCIS among our state regulators and our stakeholders, it's also looking out over the overwhelming majority of credit unions that are under 100 million. We see the assets continuing to kind of consolidate in credit unions that are growing at the 500 million or above. That number keeps going up and their sophistication is going up. To NCUA's credit, I think NCUA has chartered its fourth new credit union this year. So that's reversing a trend. We weren't seeing new charters, but we're still seeing a consolidation of about 150. I'm not saying consolidation is inherently bad. There are very positive reasons and things that can come out of consolidation. But I do think Many of our regulatory agencies and our stakeholders of all sizes look out over the credit union system and spent a lot of time thinking about what are the long-term implications of this continued consolidation. And let's say, leave aside what I will call the healthy consolidation. Two credit unions are like, hey, if we merge together, efficient economies of scale, those things, as opposed to what I think has some of our members concerned and regulators concerned, and that is an otherwise healthy, modestly sized credit union that ends up merging away for no other reason, but there was no future leadership or maybe the cost, they look out at the cost of compliance and technology and can't get there. What is the obligation of a regulatory agency to preserve that? And I think there's a kind of really dynamic conversation going on among the state regulators, looking at those issues, starting with a base level. Let's make sure that we are not inherently the reason modestly sized credit unions are going away. After we get through that, what are the next steps going forward? I know NCUA does a lot of things for more modestly sized, but beyond kind of grants and some technical advice, I do think there are some kind of 
policy systemic conversations that need to continue to take place. Yeah, that's a whole podcast in and of itself, that topic. And I know it's something NCUA deals with. And then ultimately, it's a democratic process and the vote of two credit unions, right? So there's mergers that as a regulator, you can look at and go, that's a no brainer that needed to happen. And then there's some that you look at and say, okay, they're selling this as better for service for the members. And is that really the reason? Is it really something that makes sense? And it's very rare that it gets voted down once it gets that the two boards agree and it goes public. But Again, that would be a separate podcast almost onto its own. So, Brian, is there, we've talked a lot of, about a lot here. Is there anything before I wrap up and let you kind of provide your contact information? Is there anything else we should chat about here before we call it a day on this podcast? We've covered a lot here. I'll just kind of leave with an observation that I continue to be amazed as I travel around the country talking with our stakeholder members, our regulatory agencies, just the number of kind of just dedicated, thoughtful professionals in the credit union system, either on the regulatory side or the industry side. There are a lot of challenges ahead of the system, but I am optimistic that the credit union system will continue to rise to meet those. As I talk to CEOs and C-suite down to kind of frontline folks and then over in the compliance side and everything else, and in our regulatory agencies, certainly just a kind of tremendous amount of work being borne by our examiners agency. I am confident that the system is prepared to meet those challenges. On that note, though, I will say the one last challenge we didn't talk about is the kind of challenge of talent and just finding new entrants in. It's kind of a weird place for me after 25 years. It used to be a decade ago, agencies had unfilled positions because they hadn't gotten full funding from the legislature. So they were carrying vacant positions. Now they're fully funded with vacant positions because they can't find the talent. And I'm hearing the same thing from our credit union side. They just, they cannot find employees. And so that's just kind of another talent, but the ones who are there, wow, the work they're doing just kind of gives me hope and kind of a positive attitude towards the future resiliency and vibrancy of the system. That's a fantastic wrap. The credit union people are fantastic people. Credit unions do good out there. And it's something we've been blessed 33, 34 years now, adding a couple of years as a consultant, you with the 25 years to have locked into helping this industry and participating in it. it does so much good for so many people. And on that talent gap, I know NCUA is dealing with it. My clients are dealing with it. And at some point in time, the pendulum is going to swing most likely. But yeah, that's a big challenge out there. So Brian, if someone is listening to this and they say, I want to talk to Brian and whether or someone at NASCIS about joining, whether they're a league that's listening that's not a member or a federal or a state charter who'd like to say, hey, let me take advantage of some of these things. What's the best way for them to reach you? They should reach out through our website, nascus.org. Reach out to me directly, Brian with an I at nasc.org. Happy to talk to you about membership, but I want to say for all of your listeners, if you've heard something today that you have an opinion on, the most kind of beneficial Part of my responsibilities here is talking with the system. And I will say you do not have to be a member to reach out to me and debate with me, share your input. SCIS does what it does based on the feedback and the eyes and the talent of the people who are on the front lines. And so I would encourage any of your listeners, if you've got thoughts about what you heard today or you didn't hear things today and you're like, well, how come that wasn't on the list? Let us know. I welcome contact and communication from everybody. I hope folks who aren't members once they kind of encounter NASCIS and, and take a look at us, we'll find the value NASCIS as an add-on to the other memberships that they already maintain. But yeah, NASCIS.org or Brian at NASCIS.org, uh, reach out, uh, let us know what you're thinking, inquire about us, or register for one of our events and talk to us on the road. You'll see all of our staff out at our events. I speak at a lot of our events, but happy to talk to any of your listeners at any time and hope you invite me back. And maybe sometime mid-23, we can revisit and see 
That sounds like a plan. We'll have to see if anything we thought might have come up has come up. And I'm sure there'll be something we didn't even think of that happens in April or May, right? That the credit unions are having to deal with, that state regulators are having to deal with, or NCUA is having to deal with. And any predictions we had that were wrong, you can just edit those right out. You got it. Yeah, that's right. They'll fall off. They'll fall out of the podcast. It'll get a little shorter. So, Brian, I want to thank you so much for your time today. This was great. And and Mark, I want to thank you. And I've said this to you in person when we have talked since you left NCUA. Thank you for your time at NCUA. We didn't always agree, but I always found you an honest broker of our disagreements and issues. And since you've left NCUA, the kind of support you're providing to the credit union system, to us, when I call you on questions, you continue to serve and be of service. So thank you. And thanks for your kind of friendship all these years and ability to talk through issues with you. You Always appreciated it. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. And again, I appreciate everything you do for the system. I always enjoy doing this. These are fun because it just it gets your synapses in your brain going on different things. Just like you're saying, you know, reach out so you can have a dialogue because it it does make a difference. And again, thank you for your time. And I really appreciate it. And for the listeners, I want to thank you for your time. I know you're going to enjoy this episode and I hope you'll listen again soon. This is Mark Treichel signing off. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 